has waited long enough. My plans are set. Now is the time for the lizard to strike. Episode 18 of Me and My Friend Pete, another Donuts and Dimes production. The podcast where we explore all things the Amazing Spider-Man comic book series. I'm your host, Peter Parker's persnickety pal, Gerald. My birthday's past, Pete's has two, and it's our two-year anniversary as we record this episode. What better way to celebrate than having our friend Pete take on the doctor turn, lizard turn, doctor turn, New York transplant turn, lizard once more. We've got me. We've got you. We've got no further ado. We've got the Amazing Spider-Man number 44. Where crawls the lizard. You couldn't just get me a car? Shut it, you. Let's swing. Me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend P. The credits. Writing, we've got Smiling Stanley, Jazzy John Romita, that's the senior, on illustrations, Swinging Sam Rosen on lettering, and Marvel's imaginary man himself, Honest Irving Forbush, on luggage. This is the January 1967 issue, first released in October of 1966, according to marvel.fandom.com. If anybody knows why it was released in October but marked for January, please let me know in the comments. The cover. The cover of this one sees the standard Amazing Spider-Man banner, white and red with the spiderwebs beneath it. And we're in a sewer in darkness. A drainage tunnel in the wall stage right sends a small stream of water from the gray stone wall into a groove that leads out to a larger underwater river. We're looking at this through a stone arch where our hero, suited and booted, is clinging to the arch with his feet. Spring webbing from both hands towards the scaly green skin man monster, the lizard. This is Silver Age Lizard, so he doesn't have the snout of a T-Rex like present day, but he does have the almond-shaped eyes, the tail as long as he is, and of course, befitting his station as a doctor in the 616 universe, his long white lab coat, black t-shirt, and purple pants. And he's tearing the webbing from himself as fast as Spidey can shoot it. Let's get into it. Page one opens to the sign of the spider above the title of this issue. Where crawls the lizard? Beneath that, we get right into it with a caption box. Guess what? Petey's ever-loving Aunt May is actually going to take a vacation. But as her doting nephew walks her to the train, a frightful transformation seems to be in the offing. Just a stone's throw away. Stage left, we see Pete and Aunt May in Grand Central Terminal, crowds moving to their destinations behind them. Maze in an embroidered green coat, maroon hat, matching purse, looking crestfallen. Pete, his arm around her, wearing a stylish goldenrod yellow rain jacket, carrying an umbrella and briefcase, is all smiles. He tells May to stop worrying about the cost with the trip, that she can go now, pay later, and that the family doctor, Bromel by name, Broms very well by reputation. Yeah, baby, yeah. It's a seashore vacation. We'll have the ill May feeling better. May is going to the Jersey Shore. When May points out that Pete put his last $30 down, Pete's not stressing it, at least outwardly. Uh, I'll send some more news pics to Johnny Jonah and dumble that amount before you return. Before thinking, he hopes he's right. Above this scene, we see the lizard in darkness, both fists raised. 
And beneath this, we see the ruggedly handsome Curtis Kildare Connors. Sweat beads playing on his forehead, his white lab coat on, the right arm sleeve pinned up denoting his missing appendage, and SJB Ascot wrapping his neck because fashion is always important here on me and my friend Pete. He stares down at his left hand, which has gone green and scaly, his thoughts running from excitement to terror. Morpher's train should be arriving from Florida any minute now. I can't wait to see her. And little Billy again. He must be. Wait. My hand. It's turning green. Getting scaly. Like, like a lizard's. No, no. It can't be happening to me again. It mustn't. Not now. Not when I'm about to see my wife and my son. It's mad. Insane. There's no reason for it. No reason. We turn the page. But then, seconds later. And two opens to a look of relief on the doctor's sweat beaded forehead as his hand reverts back to perfectly manicured normal. He thinks maybe he imagined a moment, but admits he has been feeling weird since he helped Spidey create the potion that our hero used to defeat the rhino last issue before having a moment of clarity. The potion was created of certain ingredients which were also used in the formula which years ago turned me into the lizard. Can it be that the simple act of handling the potion? of inhaling its fumes has actually triggered that dreadful reaction in my body again? If so, it means that I might change back to the lizard at any moment. Just as dangerous, just as deadly as ever before. Again, with the rationalizations, Connors. He means us to believe that he didn't realize the same ingredients he was using to stop the rhino weren't the ones that turned him into the lizard? I don't know. The man bitten by a spider with eyes like an eagle looks over his shoulder in Grand Central Terminal in the next panel, wondering if he really just saw Kirk Connors behind a nearby pillar. As Aunt May, forever fretful over her nephew, asks him if he'll be alright without her. Sure, Aunt May. Don't you worry about a thing. I'll take my vitamin pills and stay out of drafts and everything. The brevity doesn't lighten the mood. May breaks into tears, telling Pete that she's deserting him and he's taking it without a whimper before blowing her nose loudly into her handkerchief. Separation anxiety is real. Meanwhile, at a nearby track, we find... Billy, blonde hair, maroon jacket, and Martha Connor, strawberry blonde, green dress with white collar and belt, her arm around her son. Both of them waiting for Kurt Connors. Billy asks Martha if Kurt will take him to a Jets game. Martha says sure, but wonders where her husband is because he's never late. Unless... No, no, I won't even think of it. It can't be. And just a few feet away, concealed behind a shadowy arch. Connors is going through it. He clutches his right arm, paint etched all across his face. I wasn't imagining it. My, my right arm is tingling, just as it did the last time. That's how it all started. I thought I could regrow my arm like some of the lower order reptiles do by drinking the serum extracted from experimental lizards. But I didn't realize the same serum that enabled me to grow a new arm would also change me into a human lizard. The man is shouting this in Grand Central Terminal. And we get a caption box telling us when this takes place. Don't take our word for it. Check with ish number six, scrupulous stand. On three, his left hand has transformed into the scaly hand of the lizards again as he continues his expository rant. In fact, if Spider-Man hadn't saved me by giving me that antidote, I'd... Oh, no! My hand! It's turned scaly and green again, but this time, there's no doubt! So alarmed, so stricken with shock he is, that Dr. Curtis Connors momentarily forgets his effort to conceal himself. Hence, at that moment... Billy spots his dad across the station and points him out to Martha, who turns to see where Billy's pointing. 
But Connors is taking no chances. Realizing Billy spotted him, he tucks his right hand into his lab coat and dashes away from them towards the subway tunnels, pushing and knocking people out of the way as he does. Suitcases and luggage flying as he races through the crowd. He thinks nobody will be safe if he transforms into the lizard here. In the final panel, we get some great art. Right shoelace untied, his right arm across his face hidden in shadow. Connors races towards stage left while a train pulls into the station, stage right. People on both sides of the train shout to get the police and that he's not allowed in the tunnels, but Connors has more important things on his mind. The change is speeding up now. It's getting harder to think clearly. Everything's getting hazy, shadowy. Can't remember where I'm running to. Martha, Billy, wanted to see them, hold them in my arms. But now, it doesn't seem to matter. Now, nothing matters. Nothing except escape. No one must find me. No one must get me. I must be free. Four opens to a shift back to Martha and Billy, tears welling up in her eyes. Martha realizes there's only one reason Kurt would run away and immediately thinks she's got to do whatever she can to keep Billy away from Kurt if the worst has happened. Billy, not realizing Kurt is the lizard, Ask Martha why his father ran away, and Martha, to spare him the trauma this would surely cause, says it wasn't Kurt, that they must have been mistaken. And, even as the overwrought woman ponders her next move. We're back in the subway tunnels and things have escalated quickly. Namely, my right arm, it's grown back again. And I have my lizard's tail once more. I'm no longer a weak, powerless human. The lizard lives again. Raising his left fist, his tail whipping behind him, the lizard continues his monologue. And this time, no accursed Spider-Man will be able to wreck my master plan. I'm the strongest, most dangerous being on Earth. Before I'm through, I'll be the most feared of all. No one can stop me. Before wrenching a large wooden beam from the train tracks and slamming it through a nearby wall, shouting that he's going to need a lair to open page five. He slithers through the hole he created into the next panel, pleased with himself. Perfect. The ideal place for the world's greatest reptile. A maze of hidden underground pipes. In such an atmosphere, what perfect plans I can create for the downfall of the entire human race. And especially for the downfall of my greatest enemy, the masked Spider-Man. <laughs> the lizards only fought Spidey one time, but of course, that's his greatest enemy. But I guess to be fair, Spider-Man did kind of make him revert back to Kurt Connors and trap them in the deep, dark recesses of Connors' mind. And, speaking of Spidey... May, a hand pressed to Pete's cheek, smiles up at him, ready to board her train. Remember, dear, if you need anything, call my friend Mrs. Watson. Drink plenty of milk, don't neglect your studies, and be sure to get a haircut. She boards the train, and Pete, waving, shouts at her that Doc Bromwell told her to relax, so she's going to have to take a break from push-ups for the next couple of weeks. After a brief back and forth in which May calls Pete a pussy willow, Pete says, Get lots of rest here. Go easy on him, what to see? Just with like me. that, May's gone. In the final panel, Pete thinks that he had to keep joking with May or she wouldn't have had the heart to go. That Bromwell insisted she take this vacation because she was run down before spotting. That's Mrs. Connors, the doc's wife. Then it was him I saw. But she's in tears. I don't know what's wrong. But something tells me I'd better find out. Martha tells Billy not to worry, that they'll find his dad, while Billy wonders where they'll go. But why? With his wife and son coming to stay with him in New York, would Connors not give his family the address of where he's staying? I'll tell you why. Connors and Martha probably tentatively planned their New York reunion as meeting at Grand Central. But that was before Connors had an excuse, 
in the form of the rhino, to go tinkering with his lizard serum again. I'm sure the last time Martha called, Connors didn't pick up because he knew what was about to happen. He admitted to feeling off since he helped Spidey. The man's back on his book. Connor up to his old tricks. Sheesh. Pete thinks he doesn't know what's wrong, but he's going to find out. Six opens to our friend dashing off towards a dark corner, I'm sure thinking that it's time for Mrs. Connors to meet Spidey again because she is definitely looking like she can use a friend. Finding the nearest phone booth occupied, our hero makes a quick change high above the rafters, and then... Spidey swings on scene, shouting towards the Connors. Welcome to the big town, Mrs. Connors. Raising Billy's spirits immediately. And Billy loves the Spider-Man. This guy put himself between the kid and the danger, so Billy's got a soft spot in his heart for the King of Swing from Forest Hills, Queens. Spidey lands in front of them and gets right to asking Martha if there's anything he can do. She says she's not sure that Kurt was supposed to meet them there when they arrived, but he's nowhere to be found, while Billy, in full-on hero worship, grins ear to ear looking like a young Archie, shouting at Spider-Man, asking if the web had always swings through Penn Station this way. Spidey's like, nah, sometimes it's the bus, sometimes a plane. Like, kid, you can find me anywhere, before Martha sends Billy away to get a soda. With the kid gone, Spidey and Martha talk serious. Martha says she's sure she saw her husband, but when he saw her, he panicked and disappeared into the crowd. Strange. I thought I had seen him earlier too. But he loves you. And Billy. Why would he have run from you? Martha, fear in her eyes, says Spidey knows why. That the only reason a man could have possibly ran is because he's changing into the lizard again. You managed to save him once. By a miracle. By but if it happens again, he'll said. be wiser, more cautious, more deadly than ever. But she's not wrong. I'd ask how Martha knows the lizard is deadlier than ever, but she was right the last time Spidey and the lizard threw down when she called her transformed husband ruthless and dangerous. She knows what Kurt's about as the lizard. And of course, as is Spidey's MO when talking to Martha, the woman who always says the correct thing, he hopes her assessment is wrong, but admits they can't take any chances. He asks Martha which way the lizard went, and with teary eyes, she points a finger towards the tunnels to tell him. That's all I wanted to know. Spidey's on the prowl. And then... Spidey leaps onto a sheer wall, ordering Martha to stay where she is before web-swinging into the tunnel in pursuit. Clinging to the tunnel roof with hands and feet, he crawls into the darkness, admitting that if Connors did revert back to lizard form, there may be no way he can take the guy, before beginning a monologue about the last time he and the villain squared off. I remember our first encounter. I had gone to Florida to investigate reports of a man-like lizard terrorizing the swampland. And while I was snooping around the swamps, he grabbed me. That was one fight that almost ended before it began. He was easily as strong as I, and almost managed to hold me under till I drowned. And I completely forgot how great their last battle was. In Florida, the lizard reached out from a swamp, lab coat and pants on and everything, grabbed Spidey by the ankle, and pulled our hero into the swamp where the two got it shaken underwater. We see the two battling beneath the surface of the water before Spidey continues. But when I finally fought my way to the surface, everything didn't exactly come up roses then either. I had fought tough foes before, but the lizard was too much. And in the final panel, Spidey leaps out of the way of the lizard's deadly tail as it snaps a swamp tree in two. Our hero realizing in the moment that the grotesque form he's seeing is really the lizard and not a man wearing a disguise. Now that I think about it, the Lizard is really the first person Spidey fought who wasn't backed by gadgets or gimmicks. You got the Vulture, you got the Scorpion, the Chameleon, the Octopus, the Rhino, etc. But you shut down their tricks and they're usually done. This man is really a giant gecko. Not to be confused with Geico. Realizing that in real time the way Spidey did, I would be terrified. We turn the page and we're on... The Infinity, the Infinity, Infinity, Infinity page. page. Page 8. Just in time to witness the flashback continue. But... 
the most frightening thing of all was the lizard's insane master plan. Y'all thought I was the only person to think the plan was insane? No, our hero does too. We get a scene of the lizard descending a trio of stairs, pointing at a crowd spidey, and this is a great use of a formal first page. This was the first page of issue number six. So the lizard's pointing at a crowd spidey, just then on a web line, as four gators make their way towards him, while the lizard screams about the reptilian army he's going to create so that lizards can take over the world. And it might have happened if I hadn't managed to force him to swallow the antidote before he could reach the swamp water. And force the lizard spidey did. Falling down from a crumbling stone ceiling, one arm gripped around the lizard's throat, Spidey managed to, with one hand, pop the cork on the serum vial and force the liquid down the lizard's throat. Then, he turned back to Dr. Connors, and the nightmare was ended forever. Or so we thought. The final shot of the flashback, we see Spidey, class act that he is, with an arm around the sobbing Kirk Connors, the crisis seemingly averted. And it's to mention again, Spidey let Kirk Connors go because as the lizard, he had broken no laws. Him getting into a fight with the lizard was not enough to take this man in. Spidey said he is not judge, jury, or executioner, and let the man be on his way. The flashback over, we're back with Spidey, who's found the hole the lizard made in the tunnel wall, the wooden beam he used to make it cast aside. Great attention to detail, Romita working. But the tunnel has numerous subway paths, and realizing that he won't be finding the lizard now, Spidey decides to head back to the Connors family. Wondering what he'd tell them, Spidey goes with, I couldn't find a thing. Why don't you just wait at the doc's lab? Maybe he'll call. A little white lion can't do any harm at this point. White lion! Billy thinks that Kirk could be waiting for them there, and Spidey says there's a chance for that. He walks the two to a cab as rain begins to fall and shoots a web line to exit. Swinging away, he tells the two that he's going to keep searching and let them know as soon as he learns anything, but he's thinking, I've got to catch him before the city is thrown into a panic, or before he, or someone else, is hurt. Or worse. But then, after nearly an hour of futile searching, Nine opens the spider peep pulling his mask from his face next to a sheer brick wall where he stashed his umbrella and clothes in a spider web pouch, feeling dejected. It's no use. The city's too big, and he's too crafty. I'll have to wait for him to make the next move. And while I'm waiting, there's another problem I better wrestle with. The next panel, we see Pete walking across the street, his umbrella open as people bustle towards wherever they're going with their heads lowered against the wind and rain. Pete's thinking, Donuts and dimes. I've got to scrape up enough money to pay for Aunt May's trip. If I can only sell Jonah a special photo feature on the lizard. Except for Mrs. Connors and Billy, I'm still the only one who knows he really exists. I better head for the bugle. And at the office of the Daily Bugle. We're at 39th Street, 2nd Avenue, Midtown. Limestone building, you can't miss it. Repeat hangs his umbrella on a coat rack as the bob-haired, pink-dress-wearing Betty Brant enters the room carrying a sheet of paper, all smiles. Pete tells her he was hoping he'd see her and congratulates the woman on her engagement to Ned Leeds. Betty says thanks and tells our friend she'll invite him to the wedding as soon as she and Ned set a date. Pete says he wouldn't miss it, thinking he couldn't be happier for her, before thinking that Betty's now like a sister to him. The feeling is gone indeed. Jameson walks up a moment later, white shirt sleeves rolled up, cigar in mouth, puffing hard, as usual. So Pete asks, Hi Mr. Jameson, can I see you for a minute? JJ replies in JJ fashion. Look all you want to. It's a free country. Ignoring the quip, Pete follows JJ into his office, asking the man if he remembers the lizard. He goes on to ask if he'd be able to get some pictures of the lizard. Will Jameson be interested? The Jameson tirade? Was Penn Station built by the Pennsylvania Railroad Company? Wait, what? Of course he tirades. Come off it, Parker. You know there's no such guy, but it's about time you brought me something worth printing. Personally, I think you lost the old pizzazz. Said our boy lost the old pizzazz. But P 
Pete needs them donuts, so he switches tactics. He asks if he's lucky enough to get some new shots of Spidey. Will Jameson pay for those? But Jameson's not having that either. He tells Pete to forget it, that he's through giving Spidey free publicity. So Pete gives it one more try. Well, how about an expose that'll prove he's a menace? As Foswell, ear hustling, looks on in the foreground, lighting a cigarette, thinking Parker's chasing another story. His suspicion mounting, he thinks, I've always wondered how he manages to get more pictures of Spider-Man than anyone else. It's definitely not by being a former crime boss and using those connections like you do, Foswell. Mind your business. JJ, his interest finally peaked, tells Pete that if the kid can make Spidey look bad, he'll give the kid a medal. Pete, pissed, weighs away the medal. If it's all same to you, mister, I'll take hard cash. And makes to leave. Foswell, in profile in the foreground of the next panel, thinks it's time for his alter ego past the stoolie to start tailing Parker. That something is telling him there could be a story in it, and if there is, Fred Foswell wants it. Pete says his goodbyes to Betty. Betty does the same and tells our friend to say hi to Aunt May for her, and he's gone. In the final panel, we get a close-up shot of J.J. monologuing something fierce. Speaking of Spider-Man, just gave me an idea. Foswell, dig up the name of that cop who helped him during his fight with the Rhino. Maybe we can run a profile story on him. They're gonna give Joe a profile piece. On 10, the rain's coming down hard now on the city we know and love as the goldenrod kid in the goldenrod raincoat makes his way to his college crew's new hangout, the Silver Spoon, thinking that the only way he's going to get the money he needs is at Spidey's expense, and he might as well stop in to eat while he figures out how to slander himself. He enters the shop and runs smack dab into the ESU cool kids sitting in a booth. That's Flash Fashion on Trash Thompson, Harry Nose in the Air Osborne, and the heartthrob Gwen Stacy. All sipping tea. As Pete closes his umbrella and removes his raincoat, the conversation unfolds. Flash takes a shot at Pete for missing a class in the morning because of the rain and is immediately chided by Gwen, who tells Pete she'd be happy to catch him up on what he missed in lab as Pete slides into the seat of the booth next to her. Flash threatens Pete in Flash fashion and backs off when Pete shows he ain't never scared. The jock saying he has more important things on his mind anyway than beating up Pete Parker, namely his draft physical later today. Pete asks if anyone's told Flash that there aren't any cheerleaders in the army and the art is great here because Pete slyly slides an arm around Gwen's back cushion of the booth. Before a raven-haired dude ear hustling probably trying to get a seat at the table says maybe Pete can take Flash's place on the team. But the bandwagon's full and Gwen's not having it, reminding the guy with a scowl that the crew is studying. Translation? Beat it. But the guy doesn't get the hint. He holds up a newspaper with a picture of a block-headed guy smiling on the front page beneath a headline that reads, Metro Star. And says that if Flash has been drafted, then this guy, Whitey Mullins, should be as well because ESU won't stand a chance against him without Flash. Whitey Mullins actually shows up in a Fantastic Four issue around this time, getting into a fight with the human igniter himself, Johnny Storm, and his wingman, Wyatt Wingfoot. But that's a story for another time. In this one, Pete, his back to the interloper quips that him joining the team was supposed to be a surprise before someone from off-panel probably flash outs. Wow, look at that! The entire gang's heads turn looking thunderstruck, except for Pete who shouts, Hi, Mary Jane! Harry is floored that our friend has a friend this gorgeous. In the final panel, Mary, never plain Jane, stands with a hand on her hips, wearing a green and yellow mod go-go dress and white raincoat as Pete rises to greet her. And MJ wastes no time. Three living, breathing males to only one gal, eh? Where has this place been all my life? Flash, thirstier than a desert flower, rises to his feet, damn near flipping over the table, shouts, She walks, she talks, and I can tell she's been busting a me old Flash. Harry, seeing the sly in our guy, says Pete was keeping a woman all to himself. Then, after the intros are finished. On 11, 
Every guy in the bar is fawning over MJ as Flash puts the full court press on her, asking if MJ wanted to meet him because he's a football star or a future war hero. MJ says it's because of his shyness, of course, before telling Gwen that Pete's mentioned her once or twice. Doesn't seem to be a shady moment, Gwen replies how nice, so it seems to be on up and up, while the interloper who came with the paper says he doesn't know what our friend Pete has, but he wants to get him some. Sorry, fella, you either got the Kavorka or you don't. MJ grabs Pete by the collar, telling him to wave goodbye to his friends because he's taking her to a spot that's got the grooviest guitarist in town. Pete turns to Gwen and tells her he'll need a rain check on his science review, making MJ happy he's finally letting his hair down. As he throws his jacket on, Pete catches a backwards glance at Gwen. Gwen certainly froze up fast. I wonder if she's jealous. But if she is, is it because of me or because Flash made such a fuss over Mary Jane? While MJ now throws some shade. Don't worry about his lesson, lady. Going out with me can be a whole education in itself. Where'd you park the wheels, Petey? Pete says he didn't bring his ride, but MJ doesn't mind, saying they can take a bus and she doesn't like the color of the thing anyway and won't ride it again until it's been repainted as they exit the diner. Pete, smiling, asks if MJ ever takes a breath. MJ replies, Like, why, Dad? There's too much happening all over, and I'm not about to miss a bit of the action. MJ, that doesn't even make any sense. Back in the diner, Gwen's taking the salt shaker, opened it, spilled the salt all over herself, crossed her arms, and she is salty. I don't know what's gotten into Pete. Even a scholarship student like him can't afford to let his study slide. Flash, more astute than he's ever been, says Gwen didn't like how MJ had Pete wrapped around her finger, but she doesn't need to worry that any gal who has that bad of taste can't compare to Gwen. In reply, Gwen asks Flash for a favor. <laughs> the favor? Stop breathing on me. But now, it's action time again. From within a shattery covert at the edge of Central Park, an ominous superpowered figure silently emerges. Covert? Translation? A tunnel carrying a stream or open drain under a road or railroad. And that ominous superpowered figure? The lizard in his white leather lab coat and purple pants, of course. He pops out of a manhole swinging his right fist, lashing his tail, screaming. I've waited long enough. My plans are shut. Now is the time for the lizard to strike. Leaping onto a skyscraper and scaling the sheer wall of it in the final panel, he continues. The foreheads of the Florida swamplands to again resume my plan for populating the earth with giant lizards. I've one thing to do. I'll make sure that Spider-Man never interferes with me again. This guy is going to retry his master plan. And I mean, it was outrageous to be sure, but he almost got away with it before he knew about the Spider-Man. Now, he's going on the offensive, so you know can say it. Lizzie's on the prowl. And making noise to boot as 12 opens to a stunning scene of the lizard crashing through the window of a jewelry store as he parkours over the ledge. In the next panel, the lizard rips a safe open with his bare hands, and I mean door from hinges, like ripping a phone book in half as he monologues his new plan. Either Spidey is going to be blamed for this, or he'll come to stop the lizard, giving the man-sized reptile the chance to finish off the wall crawler once and for all. Either way, the lizard can't lose. Seconds later. We see a squad car racing through the night on the street below, the driver shouting to his partner, and I imagine pointing at the solitary figure scaling the skyscraper in the background. Of course, we know it's the lizard, but the cop, as usual, has the wrong idea. Look, Sam, on that building above, only Spider-Man can climb a wall like that. How many times already have the cops seen other scale sheer walls and they still think only Spidey can do it? The Scorpion can do it. Electro can do it. Mysterio can do it. Brainless they are. Thus, it's only a matter of minutes before the officers find. 
and we find Bowtie Charlie, the red-haired officer with his new partner Sam, inside of the penthouse jewelry store, staring at the cleaned-out safe and shattered glass window. Charlie says the place has been cleaned out of its precious gems, and both men believing it's Spidey, Sam says he's going to call it in. Then, just as dawn is breaking, we find the miserable magnate at home in his bed, on the phone, a green blanket wrapping his legs, a pink silk pajama top, because fashion don't sleep here on me and my friend Pete, and JJ's tie rating. The Bugles put out an extra while he was sleeping about Spidey the Jewel Thief, but JJ, about 60 times bitten, is finally twice shy. He shouts that this has happened before, and he's always wound up looking like a joke, so he's not taking any chances of Spidey coming out looking lily white again. He tells the person on the other end of the line, Hold everything, blast it! I'll be right there! But before Jolly Jonah can even comb his mustache, the special edition is on the streets. And within a very few minutes, Peter Parker himself will be reacting about as you'd expect. So let's rejoin him and see. On the final panel, we see a bugle has been dropped off on a purple street because it's comic books and color doesn't need to make sense. A tiny picture of our hero sits next to the headline. Spider-Man accused in daring gym theft. On 13, Pete, a look of shock on his face, isn't taking the news well. Boy, an evening out with Mary Jane is like a dozen holidays rolled into one. She's the most... Hey, what's this? I was nowhere near there last night. The lizard. It had to be him. I'd better call Mrs. Connors right away. So he does. We get a great panel of Pete muffling his mouth with his mask, phone pressed against his ear, cut diagonally by a phone cord line where Martha Connors sits in the lower half of the panel, gripping her receiver with both hands and worry on her face. Pete asks Martha if she's heard anything, but she hasn't. Pete reassures her that he'll take care of it and hangs up. No, don't worry, Mrs. Connors. Let me worry. It seems to be what I do best. The lizard must have intended to frame me, but what do I do about it? I'm stymied if I can't find him, but I just can't miss another day of class. The kids got obligations in the now, namely science class at ESU. And so? We find Pete in class, lost in thought about the lizard, sitting next to the heartthrob Gwen Stacy, as both his professor and Gwen chide him for not paying attention. And so it goes for the rest of the morning, until... As usual, Spidey's number one booster in the green blazer, Flash Thompson is jabbing a finger at a no-name, shouting that Spidey's innocent. Why would he want to steal any crummy jewels? Flash, you don't even know the type of bills Pete is handling, so it's safe to say that he would, but Spidey would never. Pete, walking by, smirks but doesn't stop to chat, despite Harry Osborn shouting at him that he looked distracted in class today. He says he doesn't blame him, that Mary Jane must be something, and Pete was daydreaming about her all morning. Harry, have some water and settle down with your thirsty ass. Fine. Then, while waiting for night to fall, Pete's made it home in the gutter between panels, his bike on the lawn, a tarp beneath it, red bucket of paint next to it. He was about to give this thing a paint job, but it's no use. I can't even concentrate on painting my cycle. I've got to clean myself with the lawn, find the lizard, and raise some money for Aunt May. That's all. That's a lot. But finally, as a soft blanket of darkness descends upon the city below. I love that. As a soft blanket of darkness descends upon the city below. That's beautiful. And under the cover of this darkness, Spidey is suited and booted, web swinging high above the city we know and love, giving the game away. I'll keep searching if it takes all night. If he's out to get me, he's sure to show himself sooner or later, and I'm going to be there when he does. Then, true to his word, shortly after midnight... 
cosmic and comic timing puts Spidey above the lizard. He swings into the final panel in the background as the lizard marches forward, punching the air again, probably fighting his invisible demons as Spidey thinks he's going to set up his camera for some donuts before tackling the villain. On 14, we get a shot of the camera webbed in place on a nearby building ledge as Spidey thinks, Damn, it's all in place. My whinest thing will end. So this is it. And we got action. Shouting, okay, Lens, this is the end of the line. Spidey dive bombs towards the lizard in the next panel, ha! grabbing the villain by both wrists. But the lizard, back on his heel, shouts he was hoping Spidey showed up and flings our hero aside easily, sending Spidey crashing into a mesh garbage can on the street. The lizard is talking his smack. Once I put you out of the way, nothing can help my master plan for taking over the world with an invincible army of super strong giant lizards. You beat me once before, by trickery, but I'm far wiser now. Spidey, crossed on all fours beside the trash can in the next panel, is thinking that any shred of Dr. Connors in the lizard's psyche is gone now, but that won't stop him. He's managed to save the lizard from himself before, and he's got to find a way to do it again. He decides on a frontal assault, as the lizard screams, You'll never escape me now! Spidey, leaping from the floor in a space between gutters, connects with a right haymaker, lands diagonally on the sheer wall of the next with his feet, and catches the lizard with a vicious left hand, showing he came to play. Escape you? You got that backwards, mister. I've been trying to find you all night. But the lizard's skin is still as hard as a stone wall, and both combatants know he won't be hurt with standard fisticuffs. Spidey, pain lines wriggling from his fist in the next panel as he braces on the sheer wall, thinks he's fractured every knuckle, but he can't give up now. Great power! You already know the rest. The lizard whips his tail towards Spidey, cracking through the base of the wall like balsa wood, shouting to Spider-Man to come down so he can finish this fight. On 15, Spidey shouts that the lizard's read his mind and reflexes on best ever. He grabs the lizard's tail and slams the villain onto his head before leaping down and trying to wrestle the villain to the floor using the man monster's own tail as leverage. Struggling to keep the lizard subdued, Spidey tries to reason with him. Lizard, listen to me. You gotta listen. I don't wanna hurt you. I wanna help you. You don't really know what you're doing. You're not the lizard. You're a scientist. Your name is Curtis Connors here. Connors, does that mean anything to you? Can't you remember your wife, your son? You don't want to hurt them, do you? I know you don't. But the lizard will neither be contained or denied. With a mighty whip of his tail, he slams our hero into the nearby sheer wall with force, shouting in retort that Spidey is a fool making up fairy tales, that he doesn't care about anybody, and he only has one goal. To destroy the entire human race. Spidey, laying in a crumpled heap in the next panel, thinks he'll play possum, that when the lizard gets close, he'll grab him up again. But the lizard is single-minded in his purpose. By the time he comes to, I'll be safely gone, and the police will probably have found him by then. In the final panel, as Spidey pushes up from the ground, his body and ego bruised, realizing that the lizard could care less about finishing him off, decides he's got to continue the fight as the lizard pulls a nearby manhole cover off the street and slinks inside. His plan? to use the tunnels, hit the edge of town, and disappear. But he won't get away that easy. As he climbs down the ladder into the sewer system on 16, he's followed by a shouting Spider-Man. Hold it, Liz. You shouldn't go into a place like that without galoshes. Who leaps into the manhole cover, head first, both arms wide, his thoughts on grabbing the lizard's tail once more. And he does! Flipping end over end in the gutter between panels and using the lizard's extra appendage as leverage, slams the man monster into the side of the ledge they land on. 
with force. The lizard's head cracks against the side of the lead with a sponge, breaking the surface of the water beneath them. Spidey, releasing the lizard, retreats onto a nearby huh. sheer wall, thinking all he needs to do is stay out of the lizard's way. The lizard, already back on his feet, rings two angry fists at our hero, shouting that Spidey can run, but there's no place on Earth the lizard can't follow. Spidey springboards out of the ha. sewer, thinking that's just what he wanted to hear, shouting, Okay, Lens, come and get me. I'm up for grabs. Before leaping onto the sheer wall of a skyscraper, the lizard hot on his tail, asking if Spidey forgot that he can climb walls too. The two race up the side of the building as a crowd gathers beneath them. Spidey, glad to see them, hopes they look up, and they do. In the final panel, we get a crowd reaction shot of the most stylish people on earth staring up, coming to a general consensus. There's someone else up there, scaling a wall after Spider-Man. That means he's not the only one who has a power like that. Then maybe he did pull that robbery. It could have been someone else. No, you think? On 17, the two stand on the ledge of the skyscraper. The lizard pissed that he's been tricked into revealing himself. Spidey, pleased, shouts. And that's not all I wanted. I'm also itching for a chance to do this. Before leaping toward the lizard and cracking him across the jaw with a downward left, he follows that up with a right cross to the next, thinking he's got to keep hammering the lizard no matter what. Forget the pain in my knuckles. I got to drop this lizard. He thinks the lizard can't fight as well as he can, but he's thought too soon because the lizard whips his tail around quicker than a hiccup, catching Spider-Man square in the stomach, sending our hero flying off the ledge towards the ground face first. The lizard, watching with a raised fist, shouts, Even you can't survive such a plunge. So, the lizard wins at last. But then, Spidey writes himself in the air easily and spraying webbing from both hands, smacks the sheer walls of two buildings, stopping his fall. The lizard is incensed. Shouting that he'll finish Spidey off before the hero can move, he crawls down the sheer wall of the building as Spidey watches in shock, upside down now, still gripping his web lines. He slithered down that wall faster than a real lizard could have done. And it's not hard to guess what's coming next. And what's next? The lizard's tail putting in overtime as 18 opens to the lizard, snapping Spidey's web line with another swing of his big fist. Spidey, racing towards the ground once more, shouts that it will take more to make this a Spideyless world and creates a cushion of webbing to break his fall on the ground below. He lands on the homemade mattress in the next panel with a loud thump squarely on his left shoulder. Spidey's got to stop fighting on rooftops. The last time he fought the vulture on the rooftop, the same thing happened. He fell squarely on that shoulder. Rising to his feet in the next panel, Spidey is favoring that left arm, thinking, My arm can't move it. It's hurt. Hurt real bad. As a doctor runs up, his black bag swinging from his hand, shouting for our hero to stay where he is. He wants to have a look at that arm. The lizard, pleased with his handiwork, watches from the sheer wall of the building, shouting that our hero will never be able to stop him now. But he's acting like he killed the guy. He just threw him off the roof. Ah, but we gotta remember, the lizard is from Florida. He doesn't know the types of antics Spidey gets up to here. The kid damn near lives in the sky. He could survive that fall. Either way, and then, as the murderous superpowered menace slithers away into the night. We see Spidey sitting on the ground, the left sleeve of his costume ripped from his arm as the doctor kneels beside him, wrapping his arm in a bandage. Spidey, as fortified as they come, has only suffered a bad sprain despite his fall, but the doc tells him he can't use it until the swelling goes down, and he wants to take Spidey to the office for a full physical. He tells Spidey he'll help him up, but of course the neurotic hero doesn't want to take the doctor up on his offer. Oh no! Too much chance of a smart medic figuring out my identity. On 19, our hero has already leaped from the ground and is web swinging away with his free hand, thanking the doctor for his help. 
When the doctor tells Spidey that the police are coming in, they'll have questions. Spidey tells the doctor to answer him. He doesn't mind, thinking, I've got to make sure Mrs. Connors is okay. Can't even stop for my camera now. And where's Spidey headed? Connors' lab, where he crawls through the window to a stunned Martha. This woman's blood pressure must be constantly through the roof. Stuttering, she asks if Spidey's seen Kurt. Spidey, thinking he can't keep the truth from her any longer, says, yeah, I've seen him, but he's the lizard again. As the woman collapses into a chair and sobs through her misery, Spidey tries to console her. But they're still home. Far as I know, he's committed no crime yet. Martha, Spidey's Florida home, defeat still fresh in her mind, isn't as sure. But he's too powerful, too merciless. He'll never be beat again. Realizing there's nothing more he can do for the woman in a moment, Spidey gets out of there, scaling a sheer wall in the next panel as he thinks. She's taking it awfully hard. There was nothing I could say to reassure her. Might as well return home. Can't bear to see a woman cry. You could have stayed, provided her some comfort. Hey, Mrs. Connors, would you mind if I gave you a hug? Right? Be supportive, Spidey. It's not always about beating people up. Sometimes you gotta be there just to be there. But you learn that with time. He's still green, my people. He's still green. We find our friend Pete slinking out of an alley in the next panel. He's got his SJB slacks on. He's got on his brown loafers, but he's still wearing his Spidey shirt. He pulls his goldenrod raincoat over it, still lost in thought. Never realized how tough it is to do the simplest things with only one arm. I thought I'd never get my clothes on. Glad there's no moon tonight. Wouldn't want anyone to get a good look at me like this. What a time where the moon was the only light on most New York streets. Side question, do you think you could be nostalgic for the simpler things you've never experienced? I was born in a world of street lights. Either way, finally, 30 minutes later, we find our friend enter the den of his home, his head lowered in shadow, the stink of the feet just wafting from him towards the ceiling. And this, our panel of the week. Uh-oh, the phone. Who can it be? Phone pressed against his ear in the final panel. We find out it's Aunt May. Pete says he remembers she said she'd call, but the kid's in pain, wishing privately that he hoped his arm would stop aching. Twenty opens to a Nolan shot. That's close up. Of the wizened and worried Aunt May down by the shore, gripping a telephone receiver, as she tells Pete her trip was fine. But, of course, she's more worried about her nephew. She says he sounds weak and wonders if he's getting enough sleep. May, this kid hasn't had a good night's sleep for like three years. But you know what Pete's gonna do. Sure, I've never been better. We must have a bad connection. Lying! Not wanting her to worry, he shuttles her off the phone, thinking that no matter what, he can't have her worrying about him. His arm throbbing, he turns to leave the room, probably going to get some aspirin, but barely gets to the door before the phone rings again. When he picks up this time, it's none other than the incomparable Mary Jane Watson, who tells our friend that he's in luck. She's dancing at a performance school tomorrow and can get Pete a ticket if he plays his cards right. But Pete doesn't have great luck, only great skill. So you know he's holding a 7-2 off. He repeats what MJ has just said, stammering. And the camera shifts to MJ, who's lazing about on her couch, all smiles. She tells Pete, sarcastically, to be sure. that his excitement is overwhelming. When Pete doesn't respond, she says she can hear the kid breathing. But Pete, disappointment etched all in his forehead wrinkles, says he just can't make it, thinking with his arm injury, he can't let anyone see him for fear, of course, of someone recognizing that he and Spidey are both injured. And I used to say that no one would ever make that connection, but at this point, he's had too many close connections with Spidey to be sure, so it's a disappointing but smart move. MJ, unbothered, says, It's your loss, Dad. See you around. And bangs it on him. In the final panel of the issue, Pete throws his raincoat onto a chair of his bedroom and sits on his bed, his head lowered, an image of the lizard superimposed on the blinds, and in his thoughts, to be sure, is monologuing, 
something fierce. What happens next? I'm afraid to be seen with my arm this way. But I can't stay hidden in the house for days. Mary Jane must be writing me off by now. And I left my camera behind, where someone may find it. You left it on a ledge, kid. Relax, nobody climbing up there. Unless it's the wizard. I'm further than ever from the extra money I need for Aunt May. Or from helping Doc Connors and his family. And to top it all off, the lizard is still at large, capable of anything, while I sit here, helpless. What's wrong with me? Why do things work out this way? When will I come to my senses and stop bucking fate and give up being Spider-Man forever? So things are coming to a head for the pauper prince of Forest Hills. He's thinking he may just give it all up, stop being Spidey altogether. The final goldenrod panel is a caption box. Don't despair, Spidey fan. There's more next-ish. It's a bombshell. And we're out. Pete's in a spot. His Aunt May ain't got no medicine. His love life ain't got no zip. His left arm ain't got no life. And if things keep going this way, his alter ego Spidey may not either. We're starting to move into the Spidey tales that aren't just one and dones, which are stories started and ended in one issue. Now, we'll be seeing a lot more to be continued and Stan will still be masterful throughout. Big John Romita, that's the senior, puts another artfully drawn issue under his belt. I've grown to be a big fan of the lizard's pomposity. Is that a word, pomposity? Who knows? We make the rules here. All words are made up. So I'm glad he returns next issue, and I promise you, he and Spidey have a rumble worth talking about. That's in The Amazing Spider-Man number 45. Spidey smashes out. That's the main episode this week. And that's true. That's the main episode. But there is more me and my friend Pete available for your listening pleasure right now. If you sign up to patreon.com slash HSPP in the Key Keeper or High Council tiers, patrons have a vault filled with bonus episodes covering comic book stories from all over the multiverse of comic book universes. Next bonus episode, we're back in the IDW universe covering Fallen Angel Volume 2. Number 27. If you recall, Lee's managed to bring the city of Bet Noir down around her ears. But flying out ain't gonna be easy because there's something on the wing. The Twilight Zone might just have to eat its heart out in the next one. Patrons may just get their hearts full. And if you're not a patron and you become a patron before ASM number 50, our season two finale, you'll receive a thank you gift from me and my friend Pete for being a patron during season two. Let's keep these good times rolling. You got questions? Send them to me and my friend Pete at gmail.com and I'll go digging for the answers. Follow us on Instagram at MNMFP underscore podcast. The panel of the week can be found at patreon.com slash HSPP. Thank you so much to all our patrons. Two years, almost 100 episodes. What a ride. And we're just getting started. Sincerely, sincerely, we couldn't do it without you. And we wouldn't want to if we could. All that said, that's all that said. Please like, please comment, please share, please take care, and please think of the world and be true to yourself. That dusty trails are calling, so there's no use stalling, and you know the tagline for the people of great power, babe. You gotta make sure you're being responsible. Cheers, and here's to the next two years. I'm out of here.